0: It's lovely to have our friends from Ukraine with us this morning. I have got my blue shirt. I should have put my yellow tie on as well. I apologize for that. Some of you will know it's the church's 39th birthday today. Thirty-nine years ago since a bunch of us met together in Maureen and Alan Stoddart's front room and... Doesn't time fly when you're enjoying yourself? (laughs) It's great. I am so blessed to be part of this wonderful company of God's people. I am, you're right, yes. If I was to ask you what are the key elements in your Christian life, you would probably mention things like, the Bible, prayer, worship, fellowship, the Holy Spirit, breaking bread, evangelism. I suspect very few, if any of us, would include the laying on of hands. But the laying on of hands is here. Amongst the foundations that we 're looking at, repentance, faith, baptisms, laying on of hands, final resurrection, and judgment and it 's a puzzle for some people why it 's included there. Some of us were at a leaders gathering a weekend some years ago in Coventry <laughs> you 're remembering um, and we were covering all these topics in one weekend and when it came to the laying on of hands, the man got up, who was, had been asked to speak on the subject, he said, I cannot imagine why I've been given this subject, there's just nothing to talk about, so I'm going to talk about something else. And there was a, a great gasp, I think, around the room, as I remember it, and the sound of jaws hitting the floor. Um, suffice to say, that man was never invited to minister again <laughs> in a gathering like that hands. Why does it merit inclusion? Um, We sometimes find in Scripture a reference to the hand of the Lord, and we talk about, you know, the hand of God is on the person's life. Um, There's a verse, Psalm 139 verse 5, which says, the psalmist is saying to God, you hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. And I used to cringe at that verse, you hem me in. It sounds so restrictive, doesn't it? He's, he's behind me and he's in front of me and he's, he's pressing me down with his hand on my head. And I thought it was very limiting, but it isn't, is it? It's protective, not restrictive. God's saying, I'm with you all the way. I'm behind you, I'm in front of you, and yes, my hand is upon your life. And that's good to know, isn't it? The hand of God is upon your life because... You are a born again believer. You are filled with the Spirit of God. The hand of the Lord is upon you. The question is how we respond. Hands are very versatile. Hands can bring people together, but they can also push them apart. Hands can give and receive, but they can fight and resist. Um, Hands actually are neutral, aren't they? they're just an expression of what's on the inside. Our heart attitude can be conveyed by the way that we use our hands. And it's lovely, we were singing just a few minutes ago, raising our hands in worship. And um, it's a delight to be able to do that with freedom and with sincerity and say, God, we just love worshiping you. And uh, just that sense of God being everywhere, but He's here as well, And we raise our hands in honour towards him. Um, The Bible gives us five scenarios in which the laying on of hands is applied, is appropriate, and we're just going to look at the five of them, um, without saying an awful lot about them. Really, there there is stuff in there, but it's uh, (laughs) I'm going back to Coventry. I'll have to be careful. The first recorded use of laying on of hands in the Scripture is to impart blessing. Uh, You don't need to look it up now, but sometime, have a look at Genesis 48, and you'll find there a situation where Jacob uh, is getting old, and he wants to bless the children of his favorite son. His favorite son was Joseph. He had 12 sons, if you remember. They became the tribes of um, Israel. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the elder, Ephraim was the younger. So, Joseph brought these two lads to Jacob so that Jacob could lay his hands upon the boys to bless them. And Joseph brought them so that Manasseh would come towards Jacob's right hand, right hand always seems to take prominence, and Ephraim would come to the left hand. But as they approached… Jacob did that and made sure that his right hand went on Ephraim, the younger boy, and his left hand on Manasseh. And Joseph tried to correct him, Dad, you're doing it wrong. No, 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 I know what I'm doing. And it turned out he was acting prophetically. And when we impart blessing to somebody by laying on of hands, it can well be a prophetic action. need to bear that in mind not something to do loosely and casually. There may well be a prophetic element in what we do. Um, and in fact, what happened was that the tribe of Ephraim became much more, much stronger, bigger, more influential than the tribe of Manasseh, which became uh, split, disunited, and so the prophetic input was absolutely spot on. That's in the Old Testament Um, somebody must be doing this jiggery-pokery, because I've not touched anything yet. So, bless you, whoever's doing it, uh, and I'll leave it to you, and I'll just concentrate on what I'm saying. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to fiddle with the technology. Um, In the New Testament, you can turn to this one, if you will, in Mark chapter 10, we find that parents brought their children to Jesus so that He could lay hands on them and bless them. And I'm glad this is included in the New Testament. It's in Mark and it's in Matthew um, because so much of the focus of the Bible necessarily, I suppose, is on adults. But just occasionally you get the focus like this one here on young ones. And I think it's important that uh, we recognize that. that It's good that children have their their moment highlighted. Uh, Mark 10 verse 13, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. I love that. We don't know what motivated the parents, it wasn't as if there was any Jewish ritual or ceremony that they were observing, but they just thought, hey, we'd love our children to be blessed by this man, he's something out of the ordinary. So they just brought them along quite naturally and the disciples got in the way. Why? Because they didn't think Jesus would want to be bothered with little people. They were just a nuisance getting around your feet. But Jesus was indignant, and I'm glad he was indignant, aren't you? That he thought so highly of children. Um, he wanted to bless them. And he, he made a point out of it because he said, look, anyone who wants to be part of my kingdom needs to be childlike, not childish, childlike. You know the difference. Good. Good. Um, because children are so open to receive gifts. They don't, they don't feel any sense of, oh, I've not deserved this. They don't question why somebody's giving, giving them a bar of chocolate or whatever it is. They just say, oh, thank you very much, if they're well mannered. Um, but Jesus wants all of us to be childlike in that respect. We do not earn our salvation, we cannot earn our salvation it's all of grace. And there's something in that delightful simplicity of the children, just being open to receive whatever is given to them. And I loved the little bit that at the end of the, the section, it says, first of all, he took them in his arms, and then he laid his hands on them and blessed them. There's a warmth, there's an intimacy there, which is lovely. And I'm so glad that that's included in the story. So, number one um, scenario, laying on of hands to impart a blessing. Number two is to help people seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The book of Acts gives us five occasions when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two of them involve no human agency at all. The other three do. The two that don't are important. The first one is obviously Pentecost. Uh, they were all together in one place, and suddenly God comes. No human agency. It's just the sound of the rushing wind, it's the tongues of flame, and they're suddenly filled with a power beyond themselves. They recognize it's the risen Christ in a spiritual form, and out they go on the streets, speaking in other languages which they've never learned. Um, the birth of the church. It's appropriate we talk about that today on the birth of, anniversary of the birth of this church. Um, the second occasion was also very, very significant. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 10. It's where Peter was at the home of Cornelius, a Roman officer, and um, he's speaking to the household, the family and the household of Cornelius, telling the gospel, and suddenly the Holy Spirit breaks in. Isn't it lovely when the Holy Spirit breaks in on the meeting? <laughs> We've been in meetings like that. More, Lord, please. Um, again, no human agency. Now, why was that particular moment significant? I'll tell you why, because these were Gentiles, non-Jews, and they had to, the, the growing church had to realize that the kingdom was not just for the Jewish Christians. It was for all nations, Yeah. And here's a a Roman officer representing us, non-Jewish people, and God is saying, yes, my Holy Spirit will come upon any, any, whatever background, whatever race, wherever you're from. So, those were the two that had no human agency. They were just sovereign acts of God. The other three, you can find them if you look through the book of Acts, Um, I'll give you one instance, it's in Acts chapter 9, you don't need to look at it. Harry referred to it a couple of weeks ago. Um, Saul of Tarsus, number one persecutor of the church, heading into Damascus to uh, arrest and imprison followers of Jesus, and he's, he's zapped by the risen Jesus on the way into the city. He's blinded and he goes into the city and God speaks to a man called Ananias. And Ananias presumes to put God right, (laughs) to educate the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, Excuse me, Lord, don't you know this guy is bad news for the Christians? Uh, And God says, yes, I know all about him, but he is my chosen one. And I want you, Ananias, to go to the house where he now is I want you to lay hands on the man so that he can receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened. Wonderful. The laying on of hands so that somebody can be filled with the Spirit. We're talking about the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, We'll be focusing on this in, in weeks to come, but just... Uh, to say at this moment, having been baptized once in the Spirit does not mean that's it because we can leak. Anyone identify with that? We can become dry and we need to be refilled. Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. It means be being filled. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not a one-off. The one-off is important, the initial baptism, the zapping. But beyond that, and um, it's good that this morning we had time to reflect and pause and just say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm your man, I'm your woman. Um, I want to be with you all the way. And we can constantly seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. The other thing to notice is that um, Ananias was not a church leader. You don't have to be a church leader to lay hands on somebody, either to bless them or for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not just for elders and apostles and people like that. Third use of laying on of hands is in the ministry of healing, as you're probably aware. Uh, Jesus used all kinds of methods when He was healing. He must have healed thousands, mustn't He? Um, just reading between the lines, and they pick out individual instances of people that He healed. Some of them He just spoke to them. Um, some He spoke over a distance. Somebody would come on, on behalf of somebody else, and He would say, well, you can go now. He will be healed, and off they go, and they are healed. Wonderful. But sometimes he does actually lay hands on people. Um, uh, Mark's Gospel again, chapter 1 and verse 40, if you care to turn to it. Um, So there's no set formula for for laying on of hands for healing. And I'm sure the people in, well, I've served in healing rooms, I know it's the case. It's not the same every time, whoever comes in, whatever condition they're in. Uh, you wait on the Holy Spirit. You say, Lord, how do you want me to deal with this person? And uh, the ministry continues. Mark 1 verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Hallelujah, praise God. If you are willing, yes, 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 Jesus is always willing for healings to take place. And he was filled with compassion. That's a constant refrain, isn't it, in the life of Jesus. Over and over again, we find that he was filled with compassion, dealing with people. In this instance, he had to reach out his hand. My guess is that this guy was observing the rules, which say that if you've got a a nasty infectious skin disease like leprosy, you, you stay at a distance from the rest of society. There were rules about that, very strict. So, I'm sure he didn't come too close. Um, he didn't want to infect Jesus, but Jesus knew that what was in Jesus was more powerful than what was in the, the guy, and uh, he wanted the guy to catch what was in him. So, he does lay his hand on the man with leprosy. Is wonderful just pause for a moment picture it and the horror on in in the minds and the eyes of people around he's touching a man with leprosy but he was cured he was healed the power of God wonderful filled with compassion filled with power and the man caught what Jesus had and he was healed Um, It wasn't, of course, just Jesus doing the healing because His commission at the end of Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, final words of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. These signs will accompany those who believe, and in amongst those signs it says very clearly, they will place their hands on sick people. And they will get well. Amen. There's no maybe, there's no possibly. It's going to happen. It has happened. It does happen. It will happen. I know there are people we've prayed for and they haven't been healed. That's a separate question. One day we'll know the answer to all the questions. But for now, we just trust God, we believe what He says in His Word. We, we believe the evidence that we've experienced over many, many years, not just in this church, but in many churches, that God does heal people today. And it's very often through the laying on of hands. And please notice again, it is not elders or apostles or leaders. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. These signs will accompany those who believe Any believers here this morning, you qualify, you qualify for the ministry of healing. You can lay hands on people and expect to see them get well. Karen Barnes, come and stand with me for a moment. I was going to say I'm not going to embarrass you, but you probably will feel embarrassed. Thank you looking very colourful this morning. I just want you to know this lady is very special in my life in terms of healing. Some of you know this story. You've heard it several times. I do not apologise for saying it again because there is a prophetic element to testimony. We're saying, God, you've done this before. Please do it again. Okay. This lady must be 25 years ago. I don't know. Ages ago, back in the dark ages. We were were still meeting in KGB College in those days. I was speaking one Sunday morning, and I suddenly had the urge from God just throw out this challenge, and I did. And it was to say, I have had uh, on and off violent pain in my elbow for a number of months. There's somebody here who's never prayed for, laid, laid hands on or prayed for somebody to be healed. Would you please come to me the end of the meeting, please lay hands on my elbow, pray for me to be healed. And at the end of the meeting, dear Karen came in her quiet, unobtrusive way, said, David, I think it's me. Didn't you? <laughs> and she laid hands on my elbow and she prayed a simple but powerful prayer. I didn't have the pain that day, so I couldn't testify immediately to healing. 20-odd, 25 years later, I have never, never, never had the pain again. Thanks to God. Thank you, Karen. She's saying, thank God, but I thank Karen and God. Again, you don't need to be a leader or an elder to lay hands. And Can I throw the challenge out? If, If any of you have never laid hands on somebody and prayed for them to be healed. My question is, why not? Is it a lack of faith or a lack of self-esteem? You need to hear what God says about you, not just what you think about yourself. I'm sure it's not lack of opportunity. Folks, there are hurting people all around us in the world. Wherever you go this week, there will be people who need hands laid on them and prayer said over them for their situation to improve. Now, I'm broadening it there, obviously, to other things than healing, but specifically healing this morning. People won't be offended if you say, oh, I'm sorry you've got that situation. Uh, I'm a Christian. May I just lay hands on you and pray for you? That's what we do as Christian believers. And if they say no, you say, oh, that's all right. God bless you anyway. They'll probably say yes. Who would turn down the offer of being healed of a particular condition? So let's be up for this, folks. Come on, it's not just the healing rooms team and the elders and the leaders and a few others. it's all of us, those who believe, those who believe. John 14:12 also says, "I tell you the truth. this is Jesus speaking. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do. Even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I'm going to the Father, we will send the Holy Spirit, so all of you can do what I've been doing, and that will be greater than what I've been doing in my three and a bit years here on earth. Have you got the message? We're all in this together, folks. Let's get busy. A fourth use of laying on of hands is in appointing leaders in the church. And we had a lovely example, didn't we, last week? Wasn't it a good time last week? If you weren't here, have a look at the video. Great time with Kerry. And um, this is not a ritual. This is not a ceremony. This is Kerry, our apostle, coming, and he has delegated authority from God, and he then imparts some of that authority, delegated authority, to Mike Rothwell. And he is now an anointed leader to lead this church on Kerry's behalf with Dave, with Jeff, amongst all of us, to minister in the church and to bring the apostles' teaching into the church. So, it's a wonderful situation. Um, It's not just in the New Testament that we find this. In the Old Covenant, they laid hands on those appointed to be leaders, the Israelites. Uh, When the tabernacle was being set up and all that paraphernalia of the sacrifices and all the rest of it, Levites were appointed and they laid hands on the Levites to be priests. Or Moses getting to the end of his life, God says, lay your hand on... um, Joshua, that's his fella. Joshua, uh, to be the next leader, a man in whom is the spirit of God. Um, it's worth noting in passing. I think Kerry referred to this last week. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy about appointing elders and says he should not lay his hands on any man hastily. Uh, that's one Timothy five twenty two men need to show that they are filled with the Spirit and living in a way that honors God before they can be an elder or a deacon or anything else in leadership in the church. And if we look at um, Acts chapter 6, we have the appointment of deacons, same kind of thing happens. The twelve gathered all the disciples together, choose seven men from among you are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And verse 6 of Acts 6, it says, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so we've got laying on of hands for blessing, for baptizing or filling with the Holy Spirit, for healing and for the appointment of elders. Number five, commissioning Christian workers to a particular role or task. I noticed at the end of the Y1 video, I don't know if you noticed it, the very end of it talked about commissioning missionaries, and they were all gathered around whoever it was that they were commissioning. In the book of Acts, you'll find that it wasn't particularly the church in Jerusalem that took the biggest strides in developing the church and the, the, uh, the outreach of the church it was Antioch. Um, have a look on the map. It's um, If you find Cyprus in the sort of top right-hand corner of the Mediterranean, Cyprus points directly at Antioch, just inland from there. Um, Antioch emerged as a strategic hub of Holy Spirit activity and church growth, and as I say, was arguably more effective than the church in Jerusalem because they had the vision of what we mentioned earlier, Gentiles being as fully involved as Jewish people in the development of the kingdom. And it was from the church in Antioch rather than Jerusalem that uh, God chose two men to embark on a, a wide-ranging commission of breaking new ground, of preaching the gospel, establishing new churches, and setting in leaders in those churches. If you look in Acts chapter 13, Um, At the first verse, we'll just read what happened. Acts 13 and verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them, to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off." It's interesting that verse three says that they were sent by the church, and then if you read on into verse four, it says they were sent by the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing when the church's decisions are lining up with the will of God. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we can notice in passing the context here, fasting, worshipping, praying, laying on of hands. So it, it, it is a part of the life of the church. It's not just stuck out on its own, laying on of hands. It's part of the whole ministry. Um, We notice also at this point it was Barnabas and Saul. We know that Saul, Paul became much more significant, but Barnabas did have a very significant ministry himself. Um, And of course, it's Paul whose writings came to be a vital part of our New Testament. So, there we have the five, laying on of hands to convey blessing, releasing someone into the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Part of the church is healing ministry, appointing leaders in the church, and commissioning individual believers for particular tasks or roles. I just want to finish by giving some practical guidelines, some do's and don'ts, if you like, so that we we get it right. These are not hard… Well, they're not hard and fast rules laid down by God, but they're just… indications of how to do it well. First of all, it needs to be said that the laying on of hands must never be regarded as a superstitious act. You know, um, I was joking with Sophie early this morning about fingers crossed, you know, I'm amazed how many people say that. It's just automatic, isn't it? And uh, I get a bit bothered when Christians do it, but anyway. (laughs) there's no superstition involved in the laying on of hands. What, What we're really doing here is identifying, here is human need of various kinds, and here is the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we want to form a link between the two. And the laying on of hands is an important part of that link. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with compassion... We can lay on hands so that the power of the Godhead can be administered into that particular human need. So therefore, let's never be casual about laying hands on someone. Our heart attitude is very important. It needs to be right before God because we are imparting something from us as well as from God. Do you get that? It's God coming through us, and if the us bit is not quite where it should be, it's somehow tainted. So, make sure that we're right with God. We're going to impart something, and we're full of faith, and we're full of compassion, living in a godly way. The next thing to say is just be yourself. Don't try and be religious. (laughs) Don't, adopt a style. You know, you watch somebody else doing it and you think, oh, I'll, I'll do it like that. No, just be yourself. Um, <laughs> some of us remember a young fellow years ago, um, we, we privately nicknamed him Zap Zap Powie. <laughs> do you remember him? <laughs> because whenever there was a, a, a call for people to come to the front to be ministered to, to have hands laid on them, he was there in a flash. He wanted to be in on it. And um, my final impression of him, the only impression I have of him was actually when we were at Prestat in one time and there was such a call. And he was a few rows back and he was clambering over the chairs in his determination to get to the front of the meeting so that he could be involved in laying hands on people. It meant so much to him. (laughs) Um, The other thing to mention at that point is we must never push people down. When they come to be prayed for, we lay hands on them. Some of us have been pushed and it's not a nice feeling because it's the person, it's the man who's… it's not the power of God. We've been in lovely meetings where dozens, hundreds of people have been laid out flat under the power of the Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Um, It's wonderful when that happens but it is the Holy Spirit who does it. He does not need me pushing on somebody's forehead to make sure that they fall over. I have been in a line of people being prayed for, and I was conscious that the guy doing the laying on of hands was actually pushing. So I set myself deliberately to resist, and I would not go down because he was pushing and pushing, and I was standing and resisting. And then other people were going down. I was the only one standing at one line. I will not have it. It's a yellow card. In my mind, I think it is in God's mind. We do not push people over. Um, We're not manipulating. Uh, We're not trying to look good. It's all about God doing His thing, ministering, blessing, healing, whatever to this person. Um, The next thing to say is it's courteous to check that the person is happy to have hands laid on them. We always used to do this, I presume we still do in healing rooms. Somebody comes in for the first time, is it okay if we anoint you with oil and lay hands on you? And Almost always they say yes, but it's just a courtesy just to check that they're happy. And it will normally be hands on either the head or the shoulders. Um, Sometimes we You know, if you identify there's a a knee problem, you might put your hand on the knee if you want the knee to be healed, but uh, I would say be careful about that, which leads on to the next point, which is please don't pray for the opposite sex on your own. If it's a man praying for a lady, it's best to have another lady with you, and my preference is always to have the lady lay hands on the lady rather than me lay hands on the lady, okay? Um, if the lady's husband is there, so much the better, invite him to come and stand and he observes and is a witness to all that takes place. Uh, in reverse, ladies, if you are praying for a man, do have somebody else there with you. Praying for a child, if the parent is around, invite the parent, obviously. If no parent around, then make sure that the child is comfortable uh, Hopefully, there'll be a an adult that they know and they trust who can stand with them and again witness whatever takes place. They are, if you like, in loco parentis. Bit of Latin for you there on a Sunday morning. It's always good, isn't it, Harry? Yeah. Um, and the last point I just want to mention is if a group is paying, for, praying, not paying, praying for an individual. You don't all have to get your hands on. We sometimes, you know, we invite people where they are to stand and people get round to pray for them. If it's ten people around one person, you don't all you don't have to have ten pairs of hands on that person. They'll be swamped. Just one or two who are closest. The rest of you, if you want, you can put your hand on the back of one of the people who is laying on of hands. Make sort of physical connection if you choose. There's there's freedom in that. Um, But that's it, really. I think we've had enough of talk. We need to do some stuff